Let's turn together to Genesis chapter 1. If you weren't expecting uh, an abortion-themed prayer time at the beginning of the service, I apologize if that caught you out of left field. Uh, it's going to get a little happier here on the, on the back end of the service. Uh, we're going to a, start a four-week series on marriage. Um, starting today, and uh, it is, I, it's one of my favorite things to, to teach about, and I think it's probably because it's something that I am completely objective on. Uh, I'm an unmarried dude, which means that all you're going to get is what the Bible says, and what maybe a little bit of pastoral experience from talking with people and stuff like that. But I, I'm not going to like, I'm not going to go easy on the dudes just because I'm a dude. I feel like if I was a husband, I would maybe go easy on you guys and I'm not going to. Um, and if I, uh, if I was to get up here and if I was married and I was to rant and rave about what marriage should look like and my wife were sitting out in the crowd and people would be like looking at her the whole time, like, what is she thinking? What is she thinking? And is it really like that? And then he's, is he a different person on stage and all that? I don't have to worry about all that baggage, you know? I just get to bring to you what the Word of God says and in, in a very like pure and simple way. And that's not to say that experience and all those things don't have their, their place. They are incredibly valuable. They are just as valuable as what, as what I'm bringing to the table. I'm just, just kind of trying to get ahead of some of you wanting to dismiss me just because I'm not married. Um, I'm just going to go tell you what the Bible says, which is what, what I try to do every week. And so uh, I, sometimes I feel like I have to kind of fight to earn a hearing a little bit on a subject like this. Uh, we're just going to look and see what the Bible has to say for uh, for all of our marriages. If you are not a married person that's in the room, uh, let me encourage you to not just check out. Okay. Uh, those of us who are not married have a lot to learn. It could be for future marriage. It could be to help be a better friend and support system to your friends who are married. Um, it could be just kind of getting your own biblical standards kind of worked out so that uh, should that day come, you are prepared. Uh, just please don't check out and um, all that kind of stuff because I have been the unmarried guy sitting under the marriage series for a long time and I know that it can be like, how many more weeks till something that's relevant to me? This is just as relevant to the unmarried as the married. And if we're going to be a church family, we have to recognize that uh, we walk through all of life together and that marriage comes under a very unique kind of attack because it has a very unique plan in place. And uh, all of our, like everything that I'm going to talk about over these four weeks is, is kind of has this it's under this one big umbrella of this concept that's very important. You don't need to turn to it. We'll put it on the screen. But it's in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 32. Paul is talking about marriage, and, and it's a passage we'll get to in a couple of weeks. But he has this one, this one verse that really is a game changer in terms of, of under, an understanding of marriage. And this is what it says. He says, this mystery is profound... And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the mystery he's talking about is how can, how can two separate people be forged in, into one? Like how can this unity come about? Uh, it's this mysterious thing that God has dreamed up, that God has put into place. And it is, it's something that, that people really haven't understood for a long time. And so here's Paul. He's like, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you what the mystery is. It's profound. It's confusing. It, it doesn't really make sense, but it's, it's, it's a real thing. And, and the reason why it's real is because your marriage is not about your marriage. Your marriage is about a greater marriage. 
The profound mystery is referring to Christ and his church. It's what we sang about in the first song. It's what we we talk about in in, in terms of uh, the church being the bride of Christ, that there's a union between God and man. And earthly marriage is a shadow of that heavenly reality. That earthly marriage is, uh, is a parable that's alive. That a husband and wife and how they love one another is supposed to be reenacting a greater story, which is about Jesus' love for us as his family, as his bride. In other words, your marriage is a copy. Jesus and the church are the original. You're a shadow. That means that marriage is, uh, is incredibly significant because of what it represents. That is why... Uh, spiritual warfare is so specific and unique when it comes to marriage because we have an enemy who hates what your marriage represents. It hates what all marriages represent. We have an enemy who loves the fact that this is not the way that the entire planet views marriage. He loves that because he's like, yeah, a lot of people are getting it wrong and that's awesome. So the people who are getting it wrong, he's gonna let them keep getting it wrong. People who are trying to get it right, he's gonna come at you uniquely And so this series on marriage, that's why I say it's not just for the married people, it's also for the unmarried people. It's about all of us getting to where we think the way way that God does about marriage, and then it's from that correct understanding that you are a copy of the original, that you're a living parable, that the mystery that is husband and wife refers to Christ in the church, um, that we are all thinking correctly about that. And from there... Then, then you, then you choose how you're going to live together. You know, then you choose how you're going to treat each other. Then you choose how you're going to approach different things. So, for this first week, we're going to start at the beginning. We're starting Genesis chapter two. Um, if you look at Genesis one and Genesis two, they are uh, they're they're each talking about creation accounts. Chapter one goes is goes through all of the days of creation. Genesis 2 focuses in on day 6 about humanity. And so that's why they're, they kind of follow each other. We're going to start in 2. We're going to look at the expanded version. And then we're going to look at how that fits into chapter 1. Um, so starting, starting in verse... I don't forget what I told you, Gabe. But we're going to start in verse 15. Um, here we go. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden... To work it and keep it. Okay? So just remember that. He put Adam in the garden and he basically said, this is yours to take care of. The entire thing is yours. And so there's this mandate that he was under to have to steward creation in that way. Verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. 
And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we see that this is the first. This is the first wedding. This is the first. Uh, the first place that we understand the concept of marriage is at the very beginning of, of God's account of uh, everything he wants us to know from the Old Testament. He starts off saying it's important that you, that you understand a couple of things. The first thing that you notice is in verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper for him. So this is the first not good thing that we see in the Bible. If you, if you read chapter 1, every time God creates something new, he says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He creates man, and he says this is very good. Here's the first not good thing that we see in the Bible. It's not good that Adam would be alone. Now, he, there are all the animals everywhere. But he's like, yeah, but we're not the, we're not the same. You know, he's looking at these animals. It's like they're, I can't, I can't talk to this animal. You know, I can't fellowship with this animal. I can't, um, can't, there's just, there's no, like you're, we're obviously not the same. And God says, yeah, you know, he's, he is lonely and that is a bad thing. So before we even get into marriage, we need to understand that as humans, we have this like built into us. Uh, requirement that we be in a relationship with other people. Like it's like loneliness is not God's design. Isolation is not how God created you to live. Now, believe me, I love some alone time. I need it. But even people who are like, uh, who crave their alone time, there comes a point where they're like, I need some human interaction or it's about to get weird, you know? Um, that's because we are made in the image of God, who is himself a community. So we made in the image of God, Father, Son, Spirit. They, are, uh, they have an interpersonal relationship with one another. Adam made in that image, there's something missing because he has no one like him to interact with. The animals are not like him. God is not like him. He's just by himself. And so marriage begins with this, uh, with this idea that because you're made in the image of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, then you need other people around you. And so God decided to make a helper that was fit for him so that he could commune with him. Notice in, in verse 18, it's not good that he should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. That's a that's a, a phrase that basically means I'm going to make I'm going to I'm going to tailor make a, a, a another human for him just, like just for Adam. I'm going to make him someone that he can relate to, which is why when he a part of why when he sees her he's like this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's like we're we're connected in a very beautiful way. 
So, is this what marriage is? You know, is marriage a matter of you being you and God having someone else out there that He is tailor made for you and He's tailor made you for them? And at some point, those paths come together and you're like, wow, we're like, it's like we're made for each other, you know? Is that what marriage is all the time? Some people would say yes, some people would say no. Some people would, would look at their spouse and be like, no, it took us a long time before we figured out that we really were, like, simpatico, you know? Um, some people know it right away. There's, there are some people who would, would say, there's one perfect person out there for you. And uh, others would say, no, it's really about, you just got to find someone you're willing to commit to. You can, you can marry one of a dozen people. It doesn't really matter. And, um, for, this, is, this is where, like, the, my opinion part of it comes into it. Um, as a son of God, as a uh, follower of Jesus, as a student of the scriptures, as a shepherd of a flock, uh, I, I cannot separate my belief that God sovereignly guides the entire universe along. Uh, separate that from how he works in relationships. I can't be like, yeah, no, God, he's, like, he's constantly guiding things along and, like, and he's, he's sovereignly and like, just like everything is working out just like he wants to, except for dating. Just go date whoever, whoever you want. Go marry whoever. It'll be fine. I have, to, I have to pull that into my own theology. And so, so do I believe that God is tailor-making spouses for each other? I do. Why, why, why would you not want that? You know? To my unmarried friends, why would you not want someone that God has like built to fit together with you in that way? So I think, I don't, just don't think you just go marry whoever. This is again to my unmarried friends. It matters who you marry. Anybody want to amen that one? You may marry people want to amen that one? It matters who you marry. You can't, you cannot marry for love. You cannot marry because it's that time of life where this is just the next thing. You can't marry because of pressure. You can't marry just because someone asks you to. You can't marry out of fear. You can't marry out of desperation. You can't marry out of there. I can list all kinds of reasons why you should not get married. There's really one reason why you should get married. And that is to be obedient to God's plan for your life. It's just very simple. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're like, that, when I got married, that was not what I was thinking. And I understand that. And there's grace for that. And God, God can deal with that if you are already married. But if you are, have yet to be married, it absolutely matters. Do not assume marriage ever. Parents, teach your children that this is like a very important decision and not one that you just make haphazardly. People will fall in love and marry anyone who pays enough attention to them. So... Are we going to trust God with our lives or are we not going to trust God with our lives? Unmarried people, are we going to trust him or are we not going to trust him? If we're going to trust him, it matters who you marry. And that's not just coming from this one verse. It's really coming from uh, a, what this verse is saying more deeply. If you look at what Eve is to Adam and what Adam is to Eve, it is what every, every married person wants their spouse to be to them and what you will, will be to them in reverse. Look at verse 22. Sorry, 21 and 22. Actually, that's not right. What was wrong with my notes? Ah, 
18 is where I was. I'm sorry. I'm in my own world up here. Verse 18, I will make him a helper fit for him. It shows up later on in some other translations. This idea of a helper or a helpmate. You ever heard that? Helpmate. So that word helpmate sometimes comes across as like a, oh uh, yeah, like Adam needed an assistant. He needed a, he needed a, a wingman. He needed, he needed a, like a vice president type, you know. And that word has, has kind of gotten like rolled up into this idea that, um, that women are like second chair, that um, it's a woman's place just to serve the husband and all that kind of stuff, and he's kind of the king of the castle and that kind of thing. And, and we've kind of watched that generation, generationally change and change and change and change, and maybe overcorrecting at some times, but, but that word doesn't just mean like assistant spouse. Doesn't mean what it comes across as at first. That word, it, it, the word is E Z E R, Azer. It means a strong and powerful rescuer. Eve was a strong and powerful rescue for Adam. This word is used 21 times in the Old Testament. Here, here are some of the other places where it's used. And it's always talking about God's strong rescue of his people. Psalm 33, 20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Same word. God is our help and our shield. Psalm 70, verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Same word. Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Same word. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Deuteronomy 33, 26. There's none, there's none like God who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. So all throughout the Bible, this word is used when, when God swoops in to intervene in a situation where or man needed divine intervention. Man needed help. He was in over his head. This is the prayer of, uh, this is the, the, the desperate prayer of saying, God, I don't know what else to do. I just, I just need you to help me. That is God's answer to the prayer, whether Adam prayed it or not. The answer was Eve. Here is, is one who will be a part of your strong rescue. Now, to me, that doesn't, that doesn't imply men are first chair, women are second or third chair. To me, that doesn't, that doesn't in, in any way uh, communicate that. And that word is never used uh, in some of the ways that maybe helpmate has been used over the years. It does not convey status or compare to the one being helped. It never talks about status. So the fact that, that Eve was Adam's helpmate doesn't mean that she was better than him or that he was better than her. That word has nothing to do with that. It also doesn't mean that he was somehow incomplete until she came along. You know, the old Jerry Maguire, you know, lie, basically. So she didn't come in and he's like, oh, you complete me. And she's like, you're dang right I do. You're in over your head, you know, like... There's none of that going on. The, the, the rescue wasn't, wasn't really about the rescue. 
The rescue is not about the rescue. This word does not imply that men gained, gained a servant to fulfill their every wish. Or does it imply that women, because uh, the man is also the, the helpmate, that the women gained a prince to fulfill all their princess-driven false narratives that we are immersed in. Helpmate simply comes down to this one fact. For Adam, there came a point where God decided that he needed some help with what God had put in front of him, which was to take care of the garden. It was not good that he was alone. He was meant to be in a relationship with someone, but he needed to be in a relationship with someone who could help him follow through on what God had put in front of him. And so he was unable to fulfill that mandate of verse 15 alone. So God rescued him by creating a helper that was fit for him. Now, he, God could have been like, man, this is a lot of work for Adam. Let me just make some more dudes. There's a lot of dirt. He made a lot of animals out of dirt, made Adam out of dirt. He'd be like, let's just make some more guys. Let's make a whole crew that could kind of oversee the garden. He didn't do that. He also could have said, let's, so let's, make, a, let's make him a wife. Uh, let's just get some better dirt, <laughs> you know, some prettier dirt. He didn't do that either. He, the, the way that the story is told is that he made Adam go to sleep, took one of his ribs from him and somehow fashioned that into a woman. Why would he do that? Well, it's, first of all, it's relational. Adam didn't look at her and be like, hey, you're made from dirt? Cool, me too. He's like, no, you're, you're different than everything around here. Like, you're, like, the Bible says that every animal came from the dirt, including him. But he's like, but you're different. You, you came from within me. There's a, there's a connection that is already there between the two of them. He wanted Adam to relate to Eve differently than everything else. There's a different connection that is there. Because it isn't really about the rescue. It's about the rescuer. The whole point of this is not about Adam or about Eve. It's really about God. It's about God looking at his image bearers and saying, you, you guys, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to bring someone. I'm, I'm going to rescue you through someone. So it's God's direct rescue and his indirect rescue. The focal point of marriage, though, is not about, it's not on each other. Husbands and wives, the focal point of your marriage is not on each other. It's the fact that that God looked at your life and said, I'm going to bring someone that that you can connect with, that you can commune with. And together, like you will be helpmates to one another, but that's my way of rescuing you. The focus is not on the gift, it's on the giver of the gift. It's not on the rescue, it's on the rescuer. Your spouse is not your rescuer. Your God is your rescuer. Your spouse is the vehicle through which you are rescued. So should you look at God's provision and and should you look at your spouse and, and kind of have the same thing of Adam as like, wow, this this is amazing. You You are amazing. You're a gift to me. Yes, you should honor your spouse as a helpmate to you, but that should just spill over into gratitude to the Lord for sending them to you.
Marriage can, cannot just stop at husband and wife looking at each other with the heart eye emojis and saying like, oh, in, in our life, great. We have to, it is it is about looking beyond that and say, well, who who's the who, who's the point of origin here? Who's the source of this goodness in my life? It's one more way that God looks at you and takes care of you. Now, being a helpmate is not a uh, it's it's not one of those things where you you like Adam and Eve weren't like gonna like segment up their lives. And say, cool, I'll help you with this, but I kind of got my own thing over here. There, there, there isn't this separation because God's bringing about this, this unity. It's like you leave your father and mother, you hold fast to, to one another, and the two become one. And that means that everything, everything in each other's lives becomes this, this shared, this shared like, task, this shared interest. You're mutually invested in each other's lives. And here, here's what I mean. Like, to be a helpmate in the way that Adam was to Eve and that uh, Eve was to Adam... In our day and age, it means that, like you're in your spiritual, like in your walk with the Lord, that you are helping each other walk in holiness. That that is a, a priority of your marriage. It's not just like, well, I don't know, she does her thing, I do my thing, and whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. You're mutually invested in each other's holiness because you are, like, you are one at this point. You are helpmates in that. Um, that your emotional connection, like you cannot ignore the emotional needs of one another because you're a helpmates in your emotional care. Um, we, we did a marriage conference a couple years ago and Frank and Annette Loria uh, were the speakers and uh, they, they both had battles with cancer and Annette, but Annette's diagnosis was first and they were kind of pro- sharing how they were processing that at first and Frank, he's, he said, look, if you have cancer, I have cancer. That's how we're going to do this. If you have cancer, I have cancer. That there's a, a mutual investment in each other's physical health, um, in each other's social lives, in work lives. It's not like, well, this is his job, this is her job, and they don't really like have anything to do with each other. No, you are helping your spouse be awesome at what they do. That is important. Those are not separate worlds. Those are together worlds. It doesn't mean that you tag along to work every day necessarily, but uh, that's why you have to care about what your spouse does for a living because you are there to help them just like they're there to help you do that. Um, With parenting, it it has to be a team approach. You are helpmates in parenting. Uh, You are helpmates around the house. You are helpmates in friendships, helpmates in, with family, helpmates with finances. There just isn't, like you just don't separate your lives whenever you are helpmates to each other. There's a mutual investment. And here's where that comes from. It comes from the original. Jesus is completely invested in every detail of every one of our lives. Not only in this room, but every, like every child of God around the entire world, he is all about everything that is going on with them to help them and be their strong rescuer in whatever it is that's happening. And for us, we, we reciprocate that by seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. By investing into the things that, that the kingdom of God is doing. And so, uh, like we, look to see how work fits into that and how home fits into that and how the things the church is doing fits into that and, and, and bringing the kingdom near everywhere that we go. So he's invested with us. We're invested with him. You guys that are married, you're just a shadow of that. 
You just reflect that. You can't be ships passing in the night. You have to be deeply invested in everything that's going on. If you want to be an accurate copy of the original, if you want to be a helpmate in the way that God's from the jump design is described there. That's an amazing gift. Husbands and wives, come on. Like, there are, uh, like, as, a, as an unmarried person, it's very, a lot of times, like, we, we, we unmarried folks sound, like, bitter sometimes and all that. And I don't say this bitterly at all, I promise you. Um, but it, it would just be nice to have a helpmate sometimes, you know? And there are times when I look at marriages, I'm like, how are you not helping each other? Why in the world would you not walk in the fullness of this gift that God has given you? So don't hear me whining. Hear me challenging you to recognize the beauty of what is yours in Christ and what he has done for you. This is his plan for you, this side, this side of, of the new earth. That's what married life looks like. You are helpmates together in every single area of life. You are uh, rescuers to one another but you're the vehicles through which God, the big rescuer, has come in and said, hey, let's make your life everything I envisioned it to be. And you don't have to do it by yourself. It's beautiful. Let's jump back to Genesis 1 as I close. God gave them to each other, really, as a gift, so that they could carry out what we see in chapter 1, 26 through 31. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant, plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to every creep, everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Adam and Eve, helpmates, there's four things in that passage. They both bear the image of God. They're both given dominion over creation. They're both charged with the care of creation and they're both entrusted with the task of multiplying and filling the earth. They could not do those things like Adam could not do that without Eve and Eve could not do that without Adam. That here's God says, here's my plan for your life. You need each other to do it. Not that you're incomplete, not that you don't have your own identities. You need each other. So I'm giving you to one another to be able to walk this out. Same thing for you, husbands, wives. Same thing for you, future married people. It will be the same. There are not two separate purposes between Christ and his church. There are not two separate purposes between husband and wife. You're connected. 
So I can give you practical tips all day long, probably, of, from married people that I've counseled over the years and all that kind of stuff. I don't want to give you a single practical thing, except this one thing. If you, if you really want the fullness of marriage, no matter how long you've been married, if you want the fullness, you start by studying the original that you're a copy of. Marriage books are great. Sitting down with people who've been married for a while, get all their wisdom, all that kind of stuff is great. But you, you will not find a better source to start your marriage than to look at the original, to study Jesus in the church, to know him and his care for us, and to know what you're imitating. That's the fullness, that's where the fullness of marriage begins. Now, how that fleshes out, you got to learn from each other. You got to figure all that out. That's why we do a lot of the things that we do. But it all starts there. So what about the original? Here's my closing thought. We, as humanity, were in over our heads. And we needed rescue. We were broken. We were bearing this weight of sin. No matter how hard we tried to do good deeds, we just couldn't, we couldn't overcome it. We needed rescue. The Father sent Jesus to be our, our strong rescuer, our Ezer. And Jesus said yes. Not only did he say yes one time, he said yes over and over and over again. He continues to say yes to his bride over and over and over again, deeply invested in every area of our lives. Study him. Think of him. Marriage should point us to him, not to one another, in a primary sense. To him in a primary sense. Everything else falls into place. So whether you are married or not, you have something to celebrate and rejoice in in marriage because Jesus has said yes to you and to us. Now we are going to have our response time like we normally do. And I know like I'm just kind of like trying to get some fundamental ideas out there, but to think about marriage in this way, to think of Jesus as a strong rescuer to his people, if that's the starting point of marriage for you and for me and for all of us, then uh, what, what better way to acknowledge that and to celebrate that than to sing, than to pray, than to receive communion? Um, that, that, like, these, are the, these are the rhythms of the church that help remind us of his goodness to us. And so as much as this marriage series will be about your marriages, it's always going to ultimately be about the big marriage, the original marriage. So let's stand together as I pray. We have a communion line that you are welcome to come get into in just a few minutes. And uh, you dip the bread into the, into the juice and you take that. But this is, this is a way of us responding to this idea that Jesus has rescued us and has intervened not only in marriage, but also uh, in our salvation forever. Let me pray for us. God, there are a lot of, um, a lot of there's a wide range of experiences in this room uh, with marriage uh, in an earthly sense. Many of them are great. Quite a few are also not great. Um, But our, our desire, Lord, is 
We want to walk in the fullness of what you have designed for us. We want to we want to reflect your love and commitment and care for us and how we treat our spouses, how we treat our friends, how we treat our kids, how we treat our neighbors, how we treat the stranger. Uh, it doesn't matter. We, we want to reflect that accurately. And so, Lord, whether, whether someone is married or unmarried in the room, really, at this, in this, these moments, it doesn't matter. Because we're looking at you as, as the one who has come and rescued us. You are that strong rescuer. You are the source. And so we were in over our heads and you stepped in. And God, may that be the beginning point for our understanding not only of marriage, but ministry in the world around us, the way that we love and care for one another. It all begins with you. And so as the communion lines open, as, as we sing, as we pray, would you just help us to settle into the, into the beautiful parts of our heart that we, would, um, that we would continue just to think like you, think about you, to celebrate you and your goodness to us. And may we be good to you in return. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, our lines are open. You can come respond however you like whenever you're ready.